This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. special episode of Set Lusting Bruce. This is a B-side, but really this is a David Bowie tribute. We are recording this on Thursday after the news came out that uh, we lost an icon. We're all feeling a little sad, and uh, I have a uh, fellow uh, lover of all things music, John, joining me. John, thank you for joining me under sad circumstances, but it's still it is nice to have you here. Thank you very much, Jesse. I'm I'm happy to talk with you, although I'm a little sad today. There are people that you lose that it is just it's unthinkable, um, and I think that David is one of those uh, people the local sports station that tends to cover a lot of pop culture as well talks about that there's only a handful of musicians in the world that would affect people this way. Sure. And, and they mentioned that, that some of the younger audience of the sports station may not know who they're talking about. But they said we've we've lost a, a Rolling Stone or a Beatle, and if you don't believe us, look what the Rolling Stones and the surviving Beatles are saying, right? Right, that's right. Um, and you know we uh, we talked very briefly about uh, uh, what a sad day will be uh, when Bruce Springsteen passes away, and there is a connection. Uh, David Bowie recorded two Springsteen songs. He did uh, Growing Up, and he did Hard to Be a Saint in the, in the City. One of the David Boyer's connections to so many musicians, both those that influenced him and those who he influenced, he did many, many covers, and he usually included a cover on each of his albums. That's his influence over musicians. His influence over 
me as a fan is uh it's almost uh difficult to explain um i'm i feel sad like i knew the man uh personally. when gene roddenberry died years ago i had that sense of loss um certainly when leonard nimoy passed away you know i remember jim henson you know there are people that are just important to our lives and you are just shocked yeah. that it happens and not just you know major celebrities i remember several years ago that when princess diana died that there was certainly a lot of sadness but within a week or so a local baseball announcer named mark holtz died of cancer couple of guys were making the point that we were sadder about Mark Holtz dying than we were Princess Diana. Not We're sad, not in a way that you're judging, and it's always sad when someone loses their life. But, you know, from our perspective, Mark Holtz was in our ear. You know, he was a radio broadcaster for 180 games a year, and he was just the voice of the Texas Rangers. And it, you felt like you lost a friend. And I certainly think that in this, it was just shocking. And I think also because, at least as a casual fan, I didn't know he was sick. I didn't either. I don't think it was well known. Um, okay. I knew he had some health problems uh, that led to uh, a pause in his uh, his output uh, several years ago. Mm-hmm. But I did not know, and I think very few people knew, that he was dying of cancer. Mm. He and I was so excited on Friday, six days ago, he uh, released a new album, which is magnificent. I read a review during the, the few days between its release and uh, his death that was um, lauding it for its lyrics having no meaning, but nonetheless being evocative of something. Well, uh, after... Uh, a couple of days he passed away and it became nakedly clear that he wrote his own requiem and the the meaning of the lyrics uh, suddenly jumps out and is it's it's shocking john i we're going to get into that and gosh i just this is already fascinating <laughs> what john and i've talked about it is this is a sad subject but we think we're going to enjoy, in fact, we know already that we will enjoy discussing, because this truly is, and I know that's a cliche, but this is, we certainly will mourn the man, but we are more celebrating his legacy and how much he meant to so many people. Start off, tell me a little about yourself, where you're from, your rough age, and talk to me how you first discovered uh, David Bowie. Well, uh, I I live in New York State. I live right now in Albany. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Okay. And, um, I am 47. That's not my rough age. That's my actual age. Okay. <laughs> um, well, and... sometimes people are a little weird. <laughs> what I usually do when I'm talking uh, music is I ask their year of they graduated from high school yes. because that kind of gives me a sense of like I graduated in 77. So I was a pure child of top 40 radio. Uh-huh. Yeah. And and that we'll get into our discussion of him because of my you know being a fan of 
was in the era of disco and this was in the era of Barry Manilow, who I love. I'm not going to, you know, same, but, you know, this top 40, Elton John and all this stuff. And David Bowie was a little strange for this short, fat little kid from Lake Charles, Louisiana. But before we get to that, tell me your first memories of that. And how did you find him? Well, I, you know, I was thinking about my the first time that his name entered my consciousness which is a, a quick sort of funny story, and then how I first started to like him, which which came a little bit later. But I remember when I was a child, my mother reading a story about this really strange-looking British rocker who got off an airplane coming to the United States, and his his appearance was so bizarre that he was pulled over and questioned. And the, the, the person from uh, Customs said that he had seen a lot of rock stars coming in from Britain, but this guy was so odd, and it turned out to be David Bowie, and it was probably 1970 when he was uh, uh, promoting uh, an album called uh, The Man Who Sold the World. He got off the plane wearing a dress, and he had long, flowing blonde hair, which today I don't know would um, even count as looking strange, but at that Time, it it was so shocking that um, my mother read the story and then told her child, her little boy, because she was just so blown away by the story. And the funny thing is, is that she went to a David Bowie concert before I ever did. Um, oh, how funny! <laughs> but the, the, I became a fan. I was a teenager, and I was in a car with some of my buddies, and somebody had put on a tape of mm-hmm. "Changes One Bowie." which was a best of that um, was was well known in the, the 80s. It was a best of. And I remember hearing the one song after the other, and I had known all of the songs. I didn't realize they were all David Bowie songs. I remember specifically thinking that Rebel Rebel was a Kinks song. And I was just blown away that the same guy had done all of these songs. And I went out and I bought a copy of the um, of the tape. This was before CDs. And then um, I, I started buying tapes of the original albums that the songs came off of, and it, it was off to the races. So I was a fan ever since. So I remember, and and I guess I'm trying to think what year would Fame have been out? I think that was 1970, uh, 1974. Yeah, so you know, this he was this very strange um British guy that wore a lot of makeup and was dressed weird and and it was just and I certainly knew the song Fame and and a couple other things, but um, I know that what has stuck with me for years and I and this was brought up by many people when you're covering him is him appearing on the Bing Crosby Christmas special. Sure. And and I remember seeing that. I you know, I was young enough that, you know, I was watching it on TV and I was shocked that here's this guy that all the glam rock and all this weirdness and he's just there with Bing Crosby and it truly is a modern Christmas classic. It, when you hear that duet, it is just, I think, moves to tears. It's one of the best Christmas songs ever. 
It works. It really works. And it's also it's a juncture between if you think about Bing Crosby was the the premier pop star of the 30s. Right. And he. Yeah, he is. He's there's this point in time when he converges with David Bowie. And it's it's almost it's almost uh, well, not quite 100 years, but it's 70 years of of, of pop uh, iconography. Meaning, yeah. Singing the simplest and and prettiest little Christmas song that you could imagine, and and to when they talk about you know you know my son and he you know he just became normal, and mm. you know and that was I I wonder and you're certainly more of an expert on his career than I am, but was that a important part in his career that he kind of you know, middle America went, wow, this guy is playing a part and he's a very talented musician. I don't, uh, you know, that was not really the point that he jumped over into more mainstream. Okay. It, it, that would happen a little bit later. Okay. Uh, with, um, when he, in the, the early eighties, when he came out with let's dance, but the, the other thing you have to realize is that the audience watching that, Christmas show, many people didn't have any idea who he was. He was, um, it, I, I think we would probably call him a uh, an alternate uh, star. Um, he wasn't necessarily known to mainstream America who was watching a Ben Crosby special. So he, you know, maybe vaguely was familiar by name. But um, those people who did know him, the the novelty was this... Um, this very uh, eccentric and cutting edge and, and dangerous uh, uh, counterculture figure singing with the establishment. Yeah. That was sort of the joke, but he didn't, he didn't break into the mainstream quite yet. And some of the music he did um, around that time and after was very avant-garde and um, it, it sold well, but he, you know, the, the album that he just came out with is the first one uh, that ever hit number one. Wow. The, at that time, while he was successful, he was still a little bit of an underground phenomenon. So you've discovered his music, and did you just immediately it? What spoke to you about it? Well, you know, I've I've always said um, that I like the way it sounds, and mm-hmm. I, I you know I like his style and his artistry and his showmanship. Uh, I don't look to. I don't have a lot in in common with David Bowie, which is it's it's sort of odd because I I've I've had his voice in my ears for thirty years every mm-hmm. day. I, yeah. I I put him on every day, and it's not by some plan or by some sort of commitment. It's just because I like the way it sounds, and I like the way it sounded then. Um, it wasn't immediate. Okay. I, I heard that that changes one, and I realized I liked all those songs, but I it it took. Uh, within a couple years, I went to see my first David Bowie concert, which was in Toronto. It was the Glass Spider Tour. It, in retrospect, it was a great first concert because uh, on, uh, as a spectacle, there was nothing I've seen like it before or since. Mm-hmm. As um, a musical performance, it was very good, but every concert I had seen uh, subsequent to that was better. And mm-hmm. it was it was very much at that point he was at the um, the zenith of his mass cultural appeal. Okay. And the the concerts I had seen um, subsequently were more intimate and more um, more reflective, 
this was this was glitz this was show there was a gigantic stage um a gigantic glass spider that he descended from <laughs> from the rafters uh, in this chair and he had this this um giant blonde mullet <laughs> mm-hmm. um but the i was blown away and at that point it was locked in there was no going back at that point um and he, I just became fascinated with him and his music. And even th- th- this, the album he was touring then was called Never Let Me Down, which is, is one of my least favorite David Bowie albums. But it, um, even that has redeeming features. And, uh, you know, there's, there's, you could listen to, if you listen to all just his studio albums, just his studio albums back to back, you would not hear the same song in well over a day of listening. Um, and so that never gets boring and never gets tired. You know, that's, uh, my wife asked the same question. We were, um, we were driving back from Florida in November. Her sister was in the car with us and got it on E street radio. And my sister-in-law asked, do you never get tired of Bruce Springsteen? And I go, I, I don't, I mean, I, I, I have listened to and will listen to other music, but you know, I it would be an easy question for me if someone said, "What's the only artist you can bring to a desert island?" I would bring Bruce Springsteen, you know, it, because there's enough diversity there that I wouldn't get bored. Sure. And it sounds like the same thing with you. Oh, absolutely. Um, diversity was was really Bowie's calling card. Um, he uh would get tired of a style and he'd shift up and he'd do he'd experiment and he had some misfires but uh the overall output uh if nothing else even even his weakest material is interesting and uh he has a lot of strong material uh, you know i've heard someone yesterday or one day this week because um this is being discussed on you know different radio stations i heard and something about you know, I, and I'm quoting it wrong, but I'd rather have an interesting, you know, failure than a successful boring or something. I, I don't remember exact. Maybe you do. I didn't hear it, but okay. I, I, I get the sentiment. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, the other thing that I really embraced is my other obsession is Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And um, there were several fans that posted that. And they showed all the pictures of David in his various, you know, stages and pardon the pun. And um, and they said Time Lord without a doubt. You know, uh, I, that's that I'd never thought of that. But doesn't that work? That it, really works. <laughs> yes. And uh, what I thought was really cool is someone posted and this is not this is actually from several years ago. Uh, Peter Capaldi, who is the current doctor, um, Mm -hmm. said that he, to a certain degree, modeled his persona as the 12th doctor upon David Bowie. Wow. You know, which is what, and this was not, I mean, this was when he first got the role. Um, So this isn't just sentiment talking. Um, And I guess Madonna has been very quick to give credit that, um, she modeled her changing persona uh, to a certain degree, you know, to his, um, you know, example. 
Yes, she's talked about that not just now, but she's talked about that for years, and um, so has uh, others have as well. I'm thinking of Lady Gaga, who yeah. um, posed with um, Bowie-esque makeup. Yes, uh, and uh, has has been very very um, uh, open about uh, modeling aspects of her persona after his. And you know, as a casual fan. And and just as a, I love artists who take chances. Yes. And I love artists that are true to themselves. And um, you know, I, I need and one of my favorite quotes, and I tell this story a lot, you know, when I'm talking to my team, is uh the late great Harry Chapin was talking about his grandfather. And his grandfather said, there's good tired and bad tired. He said, and um, bad tired might be a day where you won. You were successful. But you were fighting someone else's fight. You were living someone else's dreams. You were working on someone else's goals. And even though you were successful, you're tired. And it's a bad tired. He says, on the other hand, good tired is a day where you may have failed. You may have not met your dreams, but you were living your dreams. You were fighting your fight. You were pursuing your goals. And whether you win or lot or not, you have you are good tired. And and I think, you know, David, based on this from a perspective, fought his fight. He journeyed, he took his journey and you know, in a lot of ways, I think that's his best legacy. Yeah, you know that's 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 a really good point. It uh, it's definitely true. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know that I would have phrased it that way, but uh, I I I can't disagree with any of that. Okay, well, every once in a while, just every once in a while, I come up with something good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, John, is there any? Um, special moments or memories of his career that mean something to you? Do you have a special memory or something that you think we should highlight? There's so much I could talk about, um, mm -hmm. but I, I, I'll, I, I actually jotted a couple things down uh, that I wanted to make sure I mentioned. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, Always like giving homework for the podcast. <laughs> I you know one of the things I one of the things that I'm sad about is that there was always always anticipation and hope for the next album the next tour what is what is he going to come up with next and there was this long period uh, from the late 80s to the early 90s where he he had an output he was producing music and uh, all of it had uh, value, but none of it was as good as the stuff that he had done before. Uh, but there was always that hope he was going to come up with something else. He was going to take a new direction, and he went from uh, uh, commercial pop to uh, a band called Tin Machine, which was okay, but it wasn't great. And then he he shifted directions again, and he did an album called uh, Black Tie White Noise, and uh, it was also okay, but not great. And then he did an album called One Outside, mm -hmm. which was wonderful. It's the kind of album that um, would be remembered like uh, Ziggy Stardust or Aladdin Sane had he done the exact same album then. 
it's not as well known now, but um, it it was the rebirth of the great David Bowie. And then he toured, um, and he toured with uh, Nine Inch Nails. And I went to see that concert in Pittsburgh. Um, and it was, you know, I was talking to my wife about that concert, and she said, you know, he had to be awfully daring to tour with a hot new band at the time that people would come out to to see who weren't coming out to see him. Yeah. And it's, and I remember being there and I wasn't a particularly big nine inch nails fan, but there were a lot of people that came to see nine inch nails and then Bowie comes out and he, he took them to school. You know, he, he showed them what rock music was and what artistry was and, and that set in motion a uh, a sequence where he came out with a series of albums in the late 90s and the early uh, 2000s that ranged from very good to just great. Um, and then something happened. The, the 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 rumor is that he had a heart attack, and he after an album called Reality, where he where I saw him in concert touring that album three times. The best concert I ever saw was in my hometown of Buffalo at a relatively small theater called Shays. He did he could have sold out an arena, but he did this intimate performance at this theater called Shays. The music critics from the, the local paper described this concert as the best concert they ever saw. Wow. And then and then something happened and he took a 10 year hiatus and it was such a, a wonderful moment in memory to just have locked in my mind. And there was always this hope. He came out with a live album from that tour, and uh, he would every once in a while he'd pop up, but he wasn't doing new music. And then um, a little more than two years ago, completely out of the blue, he released um, a, a wonderful new song um, called Where Are We Now, which was a, a reflective song, and then an album which just had uh, a ton of music on it. And it was... That was a, the, one of the greatest surprises in my musical recollection and just a wonderful moment. And then the the last wonderful moment was six days ago with the release of Black Star, which, you know, right away I'm listening to it and I'm thinking, this is one of the best things the guy's ever done. And, you know, how cool is it um, that, you know, this late in his career... Um, that he's putting out something, you know, that's relevant, that speaks yeah. to us. You know, it reminds me a little bit, Warren Zavon knew he was dying, and his last album was The Wind, and he had different people come and do, and there's a wonderful song, I don't know if you know it, but Keep Me In Your Heart. Listeners, if you Google it, um, it's just absolutely heartbreaking and so sweet. And I have read a lot. I have not got to hear the album yet, but I have heard from a lot of people that, A, it's an amazing album, and B, it's very clearly him saying goodbye to his fans and yeah. to life. Right. That's that's exactly what it was, and uh, it wasn't obvious for about four days. Yeah. Then it, it became obvious, and uh, what... There's, he released a couple of videos with it, which are they're very much about death. They're shocking. They're really he he had one last shock to mm-hmm. to give up. 
Uh, but the, you know, in, in a way, it was departing on his own terms. Yeah, I will have to check them out. Uh, John, send them to me, and I'll put them in the show notes. Sure. Though I'm sure they're easy to find. Um, you know, um, what I find fascinating is the diversity of, you know, his cutting edge music. But when he wanted to as make as a good a pop song as you can have when i hear modern love yeah you know i i start i start my toes a tapping you know i i it you know makes me smile and wonderful um i love that i once drove a bride to her wedding and that's the i had that song in an endless <laughs> oh that is perfect that I, I would do the same thing. Well, when my wife and I got married, I had queued up in our Ford Escort. They dropped us off at my friend's house that had we'd parked our car. We started the car, and the first song it played when we were alone in the car was Wouldn't It Be Nice from mm-hmm. the Beach Boys Yeah, for that lyric. You know, you talked a little bit about the Springsteen covers. Um you know, from what I understand, um, and and there's actually clips on it at the internet where he was being interviewed and said that, you know, he wasn't as impressed with Bruce, just the guitar, but when he heard the band, he thought they were an amazing band. Yeah. Um, but he liked the songs enough and to try to help Bruce out in his career, right? He covered a couple of the songs. It was he, he did both of those songs in the early 70s. So it was at the early stages of, of Springsteen's career. It, it was not in the late stages of Bowie's career either. But the, I think this was also when um, he he might have had he might have been at his coolest. Right. He might have his uh, uh, he was setting the trend that would reverberate throughout culture rather than just um, be be sort of front page. Um, so uh, if he was trying to help, I think it, it was from that uh, that vantage point. But I've always, you know, because he he almost always puts one or two covers on his albums. I always saw that as a, a way of showing appreciation and respect for other musicians and other work. Um, and I don't know if his intent is to try to help them, but but also to say, hey, you know what? These are great songs, and you know, I'm, I want to res- show respect uh, by by performing them in my way. Um, yeah, and, you know, um, since this is set lusting Bruce, yeah. uh, Bruce did post uh, over here on E Street, we're feeling the great loss of David Bowie. David was a visionary artist and an early supporter of our music. Um, though I, I believe the whole, you know, artistic world has come out and, you know, spoke about the loss um and you know and you wonder like i think about um live aid and the dancing in the street with jagger i mean what a cultural icon and a point right that there was he was just so cool well bowie also was open about his admiration for mick jagger and he you know he's he's names drops Mick Jagger in um in in a song uh, that he did early on um, called Driving Saturday. Uh, yeah. There's a line: uh, "People stared in Jagger's eyes and soared." 
um, and uh, he was clearly a fan. And I, I, I sort of, you sort of get the sense that once he started interacting with the Rolling Stones and Mick Jagger and got to know him, that he had a, a bit of the fan excitement uh, himself. And so that he did that, that song with him, uh, I, I think was exciting for him. It's, it seems that way. Yeah. Um, do you, is there any story behind the um, uh, pressure with uh, Queen? Under Which pressure. by the, yeah, under pressure. One of my, another great song. Yeah, it, it's a it's a great song. If there is a story behind it, I don't know it. Um, except that was during a point when he was doing many collaborations. That's around the same time he had, he had done Dancing in the, in the Streets. Um, he did um, he did uh, a song called Tonight with uh, Tina Turner. Um, he was doing a lot of work with Iggy Pop, um, although he had done that over many years. Um, but he was. Um, uh, this was at the dawn of um, the MTV era. And he was, there would be many types of shows and, and concerts where um, uh, there'd be a, sort of a, a, a cattle call of different top level stars and they'd sing songs together. He did a, a, um, he did a, a concert called the Us Festival um, which was sort of like a, a, a West Coast Woodstock, but this was in the 80s. And he, you know, he, he came on and he did four songs because he was one of several musicians. So I think he was doing a lot of collaborations then. It's such a natural pairing that you get you get Freddie Mercury and David Bowie. And it's, you know, I, I don't I don't know uh, if they're doing a sound test now in some other plane of existence. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's you know it's a it's a wonderful song. Yeah, um, you know, and Neil Gaiman posted a link. He had written a short story um, that entitled "The Return of the Thin White Duke," um, where he said that was um, absolutely based on David Bowie, um, and. Let's that's, talk. That's a line. That's a line from the song "State yeah. of the State." Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about his acting. Um, I know one of my favorite roles, which I don't think is as gets as much as I loved him in the Prestige. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, I, I thought you know I had never heard of Tesla before that. Just kind of you know not and just who is this guy and what's this? And that was such a cool uh, role. Um, I do have um, a, my, uh, <laughs> um, let me pull up my notes and then we'll talk about this. Susan Summers Miller, who graduated from high school f with me back in 1977, who I might have had a crush on back in the day. I won't admit that, but it was. Um, she sent in to me, because I had sent out saying people, hey, she goes, The Labyrinth was my daughter's favorite movie. Yeah. I must have watched it a thousand times over and over. I can quote every word to the helping hand scene. But <laughs> so. that, you know, that, that's another collaboration, because that was David Bowie starring in a movie, a Jim Henson movie. Yes. So it's, you know, another... Uh, meeting of two great creative artists. Yeah. 
Uh, you mentioned the Tesla role. Uh, I, I grew up in Buffalo, which is near Niagara Falls, where Tesla did some of his work. And so there, yeah. was, a, it, it, there was a sort of a, a hometown connection almost. A little bit of a stretch, but... <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah. Uh, um, I've been meaning to ask you, uh, how many times did you see him perform live? You know, I was thinking, I was trying to count it up. I think it was eight times. Okay. And I, I would have seen him more if I could have. Uh, yeah. When he touring with Tin Machine, um, I remember missing him by, oh, I could get there. Oh, I can't get there. Yeah. He didn't come to my city. And so I was trying to get to him and I yeah. just, it just didn't happen. But I think I saw him eight times. I think I counted eight. You know, um, I just recently, um, Allie Scales, who is a fellow Bruce fan, was on the podcast, and she and I did a little edit, adjustatorial because of people, um, some fans were complaining that this latest mini tour of Bruce's, you know, he's decided to do the River album in a row, and people were complaining that we don't want to do that and what we're doing. And, you know, our point was, you know, he's in his 60s. How much longer are we going to get him performing? Uh, you know, I'm going to take whatever he gives me because of the opportunity. Yeah. And um, it, it sounds like this, um, it would have been amazing to see him do some of this Black Star material live. It, it would have been amazing. It would be uh, it, it, again, if you take a look at these videos you, now that you know, uh, yeah. he looks, he's not well, and mm -hmm. uh, he's saying uh, that he wasn't. He's been saying for a while that he'd never tour again. Yeah, uh, which was which was sad um, mm -hmm. because he was a great performer. But yes, it would have been amazing, especially in a small, intimate setting. Yeah. Um, can I jump jump back to his acting? Oh, uh, please. One one thing I. A role. I was thinking about my my favorite roles uh, of him as an actor, and um, he he has a very small role in a movie called The Last Temptation of Christ. He plays Pontius Pilate. Yes. And um, it, although he has a small role, uh, he's just great while he's on the screen. But my favorite uh, acting role that he had was in a vampire movie called The Hunger, and uh, he. It, it, today it's it's almost scary because what ends up happening is he's a guy who thinks he's an immortal and he finds out the hard way that he's not and you mm. see him aging very very quickly and there's a line in the movie that i misremembered um where uh he is the vampire lover of a vampire queen who apparently really is immortal yeah as he starts to age um, I'll tell you how I misremembered the line, because the actual line is not quite as interesting. But okay. <laughs> he says, "I thought you said it was forever," and she responds, "Give or take." <laughs> oh, I love that. So even if that's not exactly how it it, it it was spoken, that's sort of what happens in the movie, and it's it, it's sort of I'm certainly thinking about it today. One of my favorite lines is once again from Neil Gaiman. And it, his comic book, Death. And uh, there was a scene where a young baby dies. And the premise of the comic book is that Death is a young teenage girl. And the baby says, is that all? 
and <laughs> and death says you get what everyone gets a lifetime <laughs> i mean i'm laughing but i'm not laughing because it's funny i'm laughing because it's clever and yeah it's... <laughs> yeah um and you know it is there is something about that that we all get a lifetime and that's all we get and what is amazing is how many lifetimes he put into his life, right? Yeah. Anything else about his acting that you uh, wanted to cover, share? Well, he, um, he, he, I, I never got to see him uh, perform live, but he, he had a legendary performance in The Elephant Man as John Merrick on Broadway. Yes. It was, uh, I was a little too young to, uh, to, 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 to appreciate that, but, uh, I, I wish I would have seen him live. Um, and the other thing though, is that in his videos on, as a, as a musical performer, he was acting, he wasn't just singing. Yes. Uh, he, he, uh, he was a, a, a theatrical performer. The music was part of what he was doing up there on stage, but it wasn't the whole thing. And that, uh. That was that's definitely part of uh, part of David Bowie. Yeah, um, I do remember him playing. You know, he uh, as traditional. I think when you do the Elephant Man on stage, historically they don't do makeup. It's just the persona. I, I think that would have been amazing to see. Yeah, um, and just the influence you know i had not even thought of lady gaga but that's absolutely there is a um i'm not going to do it justice but dad rock is a podcast that a couple of guys do from uh usa today and they did a very quick tribute podcast this week it's worth looking at but they talk about you know without glam rock you wouldn't have had they think to a certain degree um, you know, they go through all the different things like the Smiths and the yep. punk rock movement and everything of how much he influenced people. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. And, um, you know, I think he came to appreciate that at one point in his career. I think he was a little frustrated by that. There's a there's um, uh, a, a line in the song uh, Ashes to Ashes, uh, same old thing and brand new drag. And. I think his commentary was, you know, I'm moving on to the next thing and these guys are just, you know, they're a step behind. But I think later in his career, he um, uh, seemed to be uh, both flattered and encouraging of of those who were influenced by him. And I think it, it says a lot about him that, you know, he is he was moving on to the next thing. Yeah. You know, you know, it's it's kind of bored now and moving on, right? Right. Very interesting. Before we move on, I wanted to read a few things people sent in. Uh Kevin Long, who's a podcaster here, just shared he love he loved the Black Star album. I what I find interesting, and you've said this, is before people knew he was sick, it was getting absolutely rave reviews correct that's right that's yeah. right which is nice and and hopefully he was well enough to see that you know i do not know how he was feeling our mutual friend diane fellow podcaster here at smg said 
Um, I think the only other death of a musician that has haunted me so much, and it continues to haunt me, I miss him every day, is that of Freddie Mercury. I do think Under Pressure is one of the best rock duos, duos ever recorded. Unlike Freddie, David lived a very full life and left us near with what we would assume to be the end of his natural days. It still sucks. I'm going to miss those mismatched eyes, that haunting voice. I will miss him every day. These are the days. It never rains, but it pours. She ends with, last night, I'm fairly sure Freddie Mercury welcomed David Bowie with open arms. Tonight, (laughs) I'm pretty sure they're jamming with my husband's Uncle Don while Aunt Sue taps her foot and sings along. Yeah. I I saw her write that on uh, Facebook, and uh, it was... Yeah, it was a very, very beautiful tribute. Absolutely. A good friend of mine, Bob Bland, said that everyone else I love Let's Dance album and all the hits from it. And while many don't care for the album after that tonight, I still rank the underrated hit Blue Jean among my favorite songs of his, bolstered by the 20-minute mini-movie he made for it, which me and my buddies at the time quoted heavily. <laughs> Yeah, that first of all, uh, a lo- that album gets a lot of criticism. I, I think it's a fine album, uh, but that video is um, there's not a whole lot like it that came before it. So you know, even with the the musical material, uh, is not as innovative as some of what he he's done. That song, Blue Jean, is it's a very catchy pop song. It's it's uh, it's a good song. But the video is, uh, it's, it's uh, like I said, it's like almost nothing that came before. And it, it is like a movie. Oh, um, I'll have to check that out. Yeah. The, the, the only thing from that era that I, I'm thinking of that was like it was uh, Michael Jackson's thriller video. Right. Which was a little mini movie. Mm-hmm. And, and like that the it was longer than the song and there was things happening in the 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 little movie that are not just happening in the song it's almost like the song was a soundtrack Ooh, interesting um i'm gonna finish up and then i want to get your take on his final statements bob says continues i was indeed quite saddened by his passing and see his influence extended in today's up-and-coming generation as my stepdaughter is a huge fan of his both from a musical and perhaps even more so from an artistic perspective. There may be some who were more influential musically, but very few have had the complete impact across so many areas of musical performance, concepts, showmanship, etc. that he did. He was a true trailblazer in every sense of the word, and though many will try, no one will be able to fill his unique void. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Do you tend to agree with that, that... His influence and is beyond just the music. Well, absolutely, uh, um, in in so many ways, um, uh, y- you can't escape it as you're reading these obituaries and these reflections on style, on fashion, um, on um, gender identity. Um, you could get into you could get into politics. Um, yeah. It, 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 again, going back to MTV, very early on, he was very critical that MTV wasn't showing black artists. 
I had not known that, and I think that is fascinating yeah. that you would you, – you know, it's very easy to be safe and to not try to bite the hand that feeds you. And because at the time this was huge in, you know, selling records. Right. And that's really that's impressive. Oh. Um, you mentioned videos. Uh, the first song of his that was famous was Space Oddity. Right. Which became well known the year I was born, 1969. Mm -hmm. But he actually recorded it the first time in 1967. And he did a video in 1967. Oh wow! I, I actually on I on my Facebook page I've, I decided that I was going to do a, a 365 day uh, song a day uh, tribute. Uh, oh nice! And I one of the things I discovered, which I didn't realize, was how many of his videos or just audio recordings are are online. Mm -hmm. And I posted this video from 1967 of Space Oddity. So talk about influence. Um, there weren't a lot of videos in 1960. No, <laughs> that's that's fascinating, John. Oh, so he he was influential influential far beyond the music. Um, I I think that characterization is is very good because his music was also influential, but he was not shy about recognizing his own influences. I, I mentioned yeah. Bob Dylan, but um, there, we could do a whole show on just who influenced Bowie. Um, so it's part of a continuum, and that you know, in 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 an odd way, is uh, you know a kind of immortality. And and you know, another thing that strikes me, and this is just purely you know my perspective. Um, a lot of times, musicians take on the. I don't care what I look like persona and, you know, this, you know, they almost, you know, jeans and torn shirts and, you know, other things. And he was like Sinatra in that he looked good. Yes. He, he, he gave a persona of being stylish and cool yeah. and um, cutting edge. Um, and you know, he was, you know, he, I, that's all I can just do. It just, this, this almost, you know, radiating cool. Yeah. And in just when you would think that he's established that he just set the standard, he's, he's Fred Astaire, you know, he, he, yeah. the, the, he has just defined what it means to look cool. Then he changed it up. Yes. And there, there's, um, there's, what, what I, I read uh, a commentary on the reflections of his death, and a point was made that um, all of the photos used in all the different stories were different. He looked different in in all the different stories that have come out since he died because mm -hmm. he changed up his appearance so often. But he was always. He always looked cool. He always looked cutting edge. Yeah. Uh, he he never looked. You know, he tried the jeans and t-shirt too. Yeah. For you know, for a brief phase. <laughs> yeah. So he he would uh, experiment with uh, with different styles. Yeah. Um, I got two more, and then I want to go back and talk a little bit of memories. Uh, Dana Steele is um she was 
a very influential um, uh, DJ back in the 70s in Houston. She now does a daily tip and she's a motivational speaker. And I tweeted her and I said, hey, Dana, do you have anything you want to share? And she sent back a tweet saying he was kind, soft-spoken, very intelligent, the kind of guy you would want to sit and talk with. And when you get the chance, you were gobsmacked, could barely speak. He was ethereal. You know, I greatly regret having never met him. And yes. uh, he he lived in New York State. He lived in New York City, which mm-hmm. uh, I go often um, in, in, uh, for work. And, and uh, Albany is not far from New York City. Yeah. So go down there and see plays. I never met him. And uh, the only time I was in the same room with him is when I saw him in concert. Right. No people who have run into him. I I, uh, I I sort of joke because this isn't exactly true, but I broke up with an old girlfriend because she met him and didn't get his autograph for him. <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not actually why we broke up, but that she did meet him and did not yeah. get his autograph. Oh, so, that is awesome. So resent that. Yes. But I, I, he's definitely a guy I would have liked to have met. I, yes. Many people that I find interesting that had I met them, I wouldn't have really known what to say. Right. But that's not the case with, with Bowie. And another weird thing is just one way or another, I have met most of the people that I would have liked to have met. Okay. Um, and it's it's odd, but there is the one guy that I, I, I have not been, I, I wasn't able to, and, uh, and I'll never be able to. Like, I have no idea if I am ever lucky enough to meet bruce springsteen um i have i stood in front of brian wilson when he was doing a book signing and uh this was in heavy in the eugene landy day so Mm -hmm. i'm sure he was over medicated and he never even looked up as he was signing my book but i did tell him that you know i i loved your music and it has brought me great happiness um you know so i you would and that's what what I would want to tell Bruce is that some of his songs just have got me through very dark times. Yeah. Um, what would you have wanted to say to him? It depends on how long um, I, I had. If yeah. I, you know, if I had dinner with him, I would really get into talking about some of his music. And he he was very um, with many of his songs. He would um, be obscure in yeah. what he singing about and he would sometimes use this technique that he called a cut up technique where he mm-hmm. would literally uh, cut the lyrics up and and um and rearrange them so that uh, exactly as um spoken or as read they wouldn't make any sense so, but there was there was a uh, meaning in there somewhere and uh part of what he was encouraging us to do was interpret them in, in our own way but I think Black Star, the new album, is is sort of a great example of this, where before he died, um, it was more impressionistic, but then after he died, the the meaning of of, of all of the songs became crystal clear. Mm. So there's some of his older music where, uh, you know, my very favorite David Bowie song is the first song off of the album Heroes, which is not Heroes, but it's called Beauty and the Beast. And I have this theory about what it's about, which I, okay. I think it's about adultery. But mm. the lyrics are um, the lyrics are obscure, and yeah. I, I would have liked to have talked to him if I had enough time to talk to him about one song. It would have been that one. Oh, it, interesting! You know, I met one time. I met Peter Gabriel standing in an elevator, and so I had literally 
um, enough time to talk to him before the the door the the elevator door opened. You literally had an elevator pitch time. You know how they say exactly right. Yeah, I'm standing there at an elevator, and I'm looking at this guy next to me, and I said, "Peter Gabriel," and he said, "Yes." And the only I only had enough time to say, "You know what? I really appreciate your work." And he said, "Thank you." And then the doors opened, he got in, and he went away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but I, you know, if that's all the time I had, that's what I would have said. But I, I would have really liked to have had a more in-depth discussion about his music. Very interesting. Wendy Hembrock, who has been on the show talking about Pearl Jam, and she does a um, podcast called Tuning In to Sci-Fi TV, sent us the following clip. Hi, Jesse. It's Wendy Hembrock from Tuning In to Sci-Fi TV and friend of the show, sharing some thoughts about David Bowie. For me, David Bowie has always existed as a prominent musician. I don't recall a moment of discovering Bowie's music from my childhood. Ziggy Stardust was a constant on our radio. Then in the 80s, there were so many radio hits in heavy rotation. Fame, Let's Dance, Rebel Rebel, Suffragette City. I live in Rochester, New York, the home of Susan B. Anthony. Suffragette City is my home. My favorite Bowie songs would include Heroes, Everyone Says Hi, Young Americans, Is There Life on Mars, Space Oddity, Under Pressure, Modern Love, Changes. Wow, so many. For me, Bowie captured the ephemeral, bittersweet moments and the eternal questions. His vocal delivery was wistful, but never bitter. He, along with other contemporaries like Brian Eno, David Byrne, and Peter Gabriel, were artists, not just musicians. They had a vision of performance art beyond singing and playing instruments. His performance was a visual and sonic challenge to the audience. I found a video of Bowie singing with Cher on her 1970s variety show doing a Young Americans medley. Bowie had style and substance. He wasn't in pursuit of ideal beauty, but real beauty, the abstract and fleeting kind underpinned by love. In 2004, I saw David Bowie perform live at Jones Beach, an outdoor amphitheater along the shore outside New York City. I included a link to a recording of that show in the set list. It was a wonderful spring night. I listened to the show again on Monday night, What jumped out at me was that voice that could swing from sad, soft, and wistful to booming power, and the mix of musical styles and arrangements, from rock opera, synth, glam techno, funky jazz, to straight-up rock and roll. He sang with authority, humor, questions, and cool. It was a warm spring night in June with a breeze off the water that carried the music into the ether. Carl Sagan said we are made of star stuff. David Bowie is proof. The stars look very different today because of his art and his departure. He left one last present, a new album titled Lazarus, just released on his birthday. Thank you, David Bowie, and Godspeed, Starman. Um, I've got one more, and then I've got a couple more questions for you, and I've kept you a long time, so we'll try to 
ended up um, Sarah Hickman is was the 2010 uh, official musician of Texas. She is a singer songwriter that currently lives in Austin, and she is a dear friend. Um, and she said, "I love the story of David Bowie going to pick up." Um, Sudsy Roach of the Roaches for a date and both of her sisters went along too I think that was their only date I have to say if David Bowie had asked me on a date I probably would have taken my sisters too <laughs> <laughs> do you know there are 75,000 items archived by David of his clothing art music on display in London thank you David Bowie for inspiring me and everyone else to be ourselves. I know you're enjoying the spectacular colors of the heavens and have a choir together already. That's beautiful. Oh, That's, there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, John, you, you've, you've been very candid and you've shared so much, and I appreciate it. Um, is there any other personal memories or something where you know, his music has gotten you through a bad time or help you to celebrate, or is there anything else you'd like to share? Well, uh, uh, I'll, I'll briefly answer that, which is yes. I, it, his music has, since it's essentially been the soundtrack of my life, without thinking about it. You yeah. know, sad, I'll put on some of his music. If I'm excited, I'll put on some of his music. If I have some event, a party, there's always Bowie music in the mix somewhere. Right. And, you know, at my wedding, there was Bowie music in the mix. Um, I, I this this is so transparent to my personal friends that I I, I, I might have mentioned this before. I've been getting condolences like he was my brother. You know, you know and people are yeah. Many people have said to me or posted on Facebook or, or social media. I read the news and I thought, oh, John must be devastated. That's what they thought, um, my friends, because uh, it's such a, a transparent uh, part of my life, David Bowie. Yeah. So absolutely. And it's not, again, it's not like I, I have some sort of conscious, oh, I'm sad. It's time to pull out, you know, it's time to pull out uh, One Outside, which is a really dark album. I'm going to listen yeah. to this. You know, it's just a natural thing. It's what I, I gravitate towards. But I'll, 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 I'll close with, personal memories with something that is not uh, especially musical, but there is a touring exhibit, which I think is in Europe now of about Bowie. It's called uh, Bowie is, and it came to Toronto and um, I was fortunate enough to be able to see it. It is, it has many of his costumes. Um, there are rooms with his videos. There are artifacts from his career and it's this sort of interactive gigantic um, exhibit that is, you know, in yet another medium. Um, I don't know how much he personally was involved with curating it, but it has all of his stuff in it. So he was involved to some extent. And I, I it's, it, it, as a Bowie fan, it's staggering, but also thinking about how the guy is influencing the way museums display uh, collections because it, that itself was innovative. And uh, I'm so happy I got to see that um, uh, while I had the chance. Oh, yeah, I imagine so. Um, John, this has been 
um, as fun as I thought it would be. And as I say, this is a sad story, a sad, you know, time, but it is sharing and talking about it. Um, I it's made me feel better and I hope it has you as well. Yeah. It's been cathartic. Yeah, that's good. And, um, we'll, we'll have to have you on again and kind of, uh, talk. Uh, if someone wants to reach you, how can they? Well, um, happy to, uh, uh, connect uh, via Twitter or Facebook. Um, my my Twitter handle is at uh, John Majori J O H N M A G G I O R E six. That's the number six. And if you friend me at Facebook, um, you'll get to read my um, 365 song a day uh, Bowie tribute. Um, so either way is fine. Uh, I I've never been on a podcast before, so I have no idea how many people are gonna. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. You know, um, I'm impressed that, and I just, I'm going to follow you just because the challenge of, um, you know, we do, my family, among other people, but my sister started where for each day in in November, you post on Facebook a different reason why you're grateful. Mm-hmm. And, you know, by the 24th, 25th day, you're like, uh, actually, the 20th day, you're like, okay, I don't want to repeat what I said last year. You know, so you're trying to come up with things to be grateful for. Um, 365, you're like, okay, I hope you've got a spreadsheet that says what what videos and songs you've already posted. Uh Yes, but, and yeah. keep record. Yes, yes. I just, I, I, I just got started because yeah. this, I thought of this once he passed away. I think that is a beautiful, wonderful tribute, and um, and I think that'll be cathartic too, because I know when I do this month of thankfulness, you know, I, I share why I'm thankful about that or why I'm struggling, and so I think this will be good for you and. Um, I, I'm looking forward to it. I can be reached at uh, on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. Uh, we do have a set loose set lusting Bruce face page, Facebook page, and at set lusting Bruce on our Twitter account. This has been just amazing. Um, normally, I end with a quote from either a Bruce song or whatever um, artist we're discussing about, but I have turned the reins over to John, and he's going to take us out with a quote uh, that he chose. Well, I, I chose this from the new album, Black Star, from the song of the same name. And uh, the quote is, Something happened on the day he died. Spirit rose a meter and stepped aside. Somebody else took his place and bravely cried, I'm a Black Star. That's the quote. I don't think anyone will take his place, but David Bowie has joined the ranks of the Black Stars, and they look very different today. Well, I stood stone like a midnight, suspended in my masquerade.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.